Praise the Lord. So good to see you today at Gap Hill. If it's your first time, I want to welcome you um, to worship with us today. It's my prayer that by the time you leave, you will be blessed. The reason we come to church here is very simple. We come to lift up the name of Jesus. That's it. It's that simple. If we've come for any other purpose, then we've missed our mark. We've missed our mark. That's good, Brian. That's perfect. Today, I want to preach a sermon, if the Lord would help me, entitled, The Point of No Return. Now, if, if anybody fly on airplanes in here, I've never been on a plane in my entire life. I know, I know. Somebody told me I would enjoy it. I don't know about that. When I'm over the ocean, knowing that if I crash, I'm dead. I don't know how you enjoyed that, but whatever. But there's a point of no return. Whenever you are on a plane, uh, they basically tell us that that once they reach a certain point, maybe a little over halfway, it doesn't matter what kind of turbulence is on the other side, they reach a point to where they say, I'm at a point of no return. And what that means is that they are unable to turn the plane around and go back where they started. Because if they try to do that, they're going to run out of gas. So the only option they have is to continue to press forward. I want to tell somebody today in the Christian walk, it is time for us to come to the point of no return to where we refuse to go back where we came from. Praise the Lord. I, I, I want to consider, and we're going to be in Psalm 57 this morning. If you have a Bible, you can flip there but, and follow along with me. But I want you to consider the argument that's going on in David's life. In my Bible, there's a topic that basically says up top, this is while David is running from Saul. David has been anointed to be king, but however, he is running from Saul. He is fearful of him at this time. And that is the chapter that is being written. A matter of fact, uh, history teaches us that during this chapter he was actually in a cave writing this. He was in a cave hiding from King Saul who was trying to kill him. It's in this cave that he compiles this song for us and I'm going to try to preach on for just a few minutes. We're going to do verse by verse so Chevy just follow. Let's go to verse 1 and uh, you can just follow along with me this morning. David said, be merciful to me O God, be merciful to me for my soul trusts in you. The first point I want to make is very simple. Mercy. Does anybody know what mercy means? What is he saying? He says, God don't give me what I deserve. When we say that we want God to be merciful to us we are asking God to do something for us that we don't deserve. How many of you know today that if it wasn't for the mercy of God you'd be in hell? Does anybody know today that if it wasn't for the mercy of God, you wouldn't have the money you have in your bank account? Somebody said, well, I worked hard for that money. That's fine. I understand that you did. But you have to understand that the strength that you've received to be able to do that has come from none other than God Almighty Himself. Mercy is that thing that God does for me that I'm undeserving of. It's, it's unmerited favor of God. So how many of you today are glad that you have experienced the mercy of God? It doesn't matter how low down you are. It doesn't matter how you've got things wrong in your life. And every time you turn around, you make another mistake. Every time you try to do right, you make another boo-boo. I want you to know today that the mercy of God doesn't care about your mistakes. The mercy of God says, I am going to give you something that you don't deserve because Jesus died for me. Jesus loves me so much that it doesn't matter how far I go away from Him. He loves me for who I am. Is there anybody in the house that can say, Amen, thank God. That's, I know who you're talking to. 
You're talking to me. I've experienced the mercy of God. Now, I want you to notice that there's another point I want to make very quickly here. That in chapter 51, just a few chapters back, David is repenting because he committed adultery with a lady named Bathsheba. In chapter 57, he is crying out again, asking for mercy. Please give me what I don't deserve. And that's exactly what God did. I'm so glad for the mercy and the grace of God. The second part. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge. See, I want you to get this. Now, when you think about the shadow being cast, you, he says you've got to get underneath the shadow. Now, now we've got some shadows cast over here. Matter of fact, these lights cause it. But, but even this thing right here is casting a shadow. Alright? Now, the only way that I can get in the shadow, I've got to get over here close in order for the shadow to cast over me. Do you understand what David is trying to get us to understand? If we are going to get under the shadow of the Almighty, we're going to have to get closer to the Almighty. So the closer I get to Him, the safer I feel. Because I am getting underneath His shadow. I love the story of the biddy and the hens. I love the story where the farmhouse is, it's, it's, or the barn is on fire and the farmer runs out and he's trying to figure out where in the world is all my chickens, my biddies. And when he finally, after the fire settled, he goes and he finds that under the, the, the hens, uh, underneath her, her wings, she has covered the, the little biddies. And these little biddies, whenever they remove her body, the little biddies go running out. It was in her shadow underneath that they were able to survive. David is saying much like that. When life comes against me, I am asking you to hide me under your shadow, under your wings, in the shadow of your wings. Would you hide me? Would you protect me? Would you keep me? How long? Until these calamities have we used to sing an old song until the storm passes over, till the storm clouds gather no more. He said, keep me safe in the hollow of your hand. Just keep me safe until this storm passes by. Can I tell somebody today that that is exactly what Jesus will do for you if you put your trust in Him. It does not matter what you're going through, what you're dealing with. If you'll get close enough to Him and get underneath His shadow, He will cover you until your calamities pass. David, you're running from King Saul. If you'll come nigh to me, son, I'm going to cover you in my shadow under my wings. I'm going to protect you. The enemy is not going to get to you until the calamity passes. See, I love this shadow of the wings for in Psalm 91, you may recall it, it said, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So I will say of the Lord, He is my strength and my refuge, my fortress in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestle. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings shall thou trust. Please understand me today today, ladies and gentlemen, you can go to Jesus Christ until the storm passes by. You know, I look at my life sometimes. You ever ask yourself, how in the world did I get in this mess? Anybody ever ask that question? How did I get here? I, I want to tell you something. You know, sometimes, and it's the facts, we get ourselves in a mess without the devil's help. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It, it don't, we don't need a devil. We did it ourselves. And sometimes we do that. Calamity in the Hebrew word is haba, which simply means... 
to rush upon very quickly. Can I tell somebody that's how life works? Can I tell you that's how disaster comes? Can I tell you that's how calamity happens? It happens really quick. It's that phone call that you receive that, that something bad has happened. It's unexpected news. It's, it's whenever there's a car accident and, and maybe, maybe your kid is in it or your spouse is in it. You see, David says, every time I turn around, there's a sword flying by my head. Every time I turn around, he was eating supper with King Saul one night and his best friend David. The Bible says that Saul, in anger and jealousy, jumped up from the table. He grabs a nearby spear and he tries to stick David to the wall. Tried to kill him. He says, every time that I turn around, there's a spear flying. You talk about calamity. It is flying by. I am being hunted down like a wild animal. What in the world am I going to do when I'm in this situation? It is rushing all at one time. I'm supposed to be the anointed king, but here I am running around taking shelter in this cave, writing this song here, asking God to have mercy on me from a cave. So verse 2, look at what he said. He said, I will just cry out to the God Most High, the God who performs all things for me. What did David say I'm going to do? I'm just going to cry. How many of you know that it may be good if you just get in a room and just have a good old-fashioned crying session? Has anybody in this room, even you men, you little tough guys, have you ever just said, you know what, nobody's around, I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to cry a little bit. Can I tell you, there's times that crying just makes you feel better. It just does. I'm telling you, it does. You hold in this pressure, you hold in this anxiety, you hold in this stress, you hold in all these calamities rushing in on you. It does you good sometimes just to go and cry. And David said, I don't care how old of a man I am, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down in this cave, I'm about to cry. But I'm not just going to shed tears, I'm going to start crying to God. Because tears are a language God understands and, and it will get God's attention. He will not let me down. Verse 3, he reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Selah. God will send forth His mercy and His truth. Sometimes we convince ourselves that our enemies are God's enemies. But can I tell somebody something? God doesn't want to destroy your enemy. He wants to save your enemy. In other words, if somebody disagrees with me, then they're the enemy of God, not necessarily. See, God looks at things different than I do. God wants to save my enemy. I may get upset with my neighbor. I may get upset with my coworker, And I'm going to be like, God, just send some lightning down from the sky and strike them now. That's what my flesh wants. You know, why don't you let something happen to them? They're getting in my way. They're getting in the way of me doing the will of God. Move them, Jesus. But in God's eyes, God's saying, no, 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 I want to save your enemy. Do you understand what I'm saying? He wants to save them. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those that despitefully use you. That is the heart of God. Verse 4, He said, My soul is among lions. I lie among the sons of men who are set on fire. Their teeth are spears and arrows. Their tongues are like a sharp sword. Who in the world am I kidding? This is a big deal in my life. This is not something 
something. I'm just going to go to sleep one night and wake up and it's all gone. How in the world can I just forget about all of these things that are attacking and flooding in on me? How can I just let go and let God? This is serious. But suddenly David's mind turns from God to his enemies. I want you to notice what he does. Instead of looking to the great I Am that can fix his situation, he turns his eyes on the enemy. He says, I am among lions. What is the devil? He is nothing more than a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Come to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his desire for your life. That's the devil's will for your life. But God's will is that you may have peace and have it more abundantly. Somebody ought to say amen today. He says, I see these lions all around me. And he says, these guys are set on fire. Now, what that means is they're mad. Has anybody ever made your spouse so mad that you could see fire coming off their head? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? David says it's like their heads are on fire. They are so angry. They are so jealous of this anointing. But look what happened. The minute David started focusing, immediately when David started focusing on his enemy, instead of God, Satan walked into the cave, if I can say it that way, and he made the problem and the enemy look bigger than they really were. Think with me, whenever Peter walked on the water... The Bible says that all of a sudden he gets distracted from Jesus. Satan stepped in. Doubt, fear stepped in at that moment. And the Bible said that when he looked at the waves, he saw them. They were so boisterous. That means they were so big, they were magnified. See, a matter of fact, according to our text right here, he says that when I look at their teeth, their teeth are gigantic. Now you may have some big teeth up in here, but you ain't got no spears for teeth. David says, when I look at their teeth, they, they're like spears going to cut me. There's arrows that are shooting from their lips. Their tongues are like swords. See, you know a few people like that, don't you, that would cut you with their lip. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? They would stab you with their spear if they could. They, they would say negative things about you, derogatory things. They would say things to try to tear you down. But, but can we be realistic for just a minute? We've all shot arrows from our mouth, haven't we? David said this is exactly what is happening. The enemy begins to work on his mind. Let me show you how this story ends. In 1 Samuel 24, according to the Bible, you see David and Saul were equally afraid of each other. Saul was afraid of the anointing that's on David's life because he knows sooner or later... The prophetic word that Samuel spoken over David's life, he cannot stop that. Can I tell somebody today, don't worry about your enemies. They can't stop what God's called you to do. I don't care how hard they try. They can't stop the anointing and they know it. And so the Bible teaches Saul is fearful of David because he's going to take his throne. But at the same time, David is fearful of Saul because God gave him ample opportunity to kill that guy. And he just said, oh, I'm not going to touch what the Lord has anointed. He is equally afraid to touch Saul. See, I want you to understand. You may have times of fear that come in your life, but don't you be fooled. Satan may make you afraid, and you may go in the corner and feel like trembling. I don't know what I'm going to do. Situation, anxiety levels go up. But can I tell you today, don't be fooled, because the devil's scared of you too. 
Do not be fooled today. He is equally as scared of you as you are in your weak, vulnerable moments because He understands that you have the power over Him. You've just failed to use it. Because whenever we speak the name of Jesus with authority, Satan and his enemy, the demons, the imps of hell, whatever you want to call them, our enemies, they have to flee. They can't hang around. We have to use it. David had the opportunity to kill Saul, but he failed to do it. Verse 5, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. Do y'all see how he switches back? David goes from fear to faith. At one point, there's teeth like spears. At another point, he's like, oh, hallelujah, let's have revival. Be exalted, God. You're still my Lord. You're still my man. How many of you know that there's times in our lives that that happens? Let, let me show you. Verse 6. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. But he says in the midst of it, they themselves have fallen. I love that. I want you to know something today, that when the enemy sets a trap for you, God can make the enemy fall into his own trap. Whenever Haman vowed that he was going to kill the Israelites, and he said, we're going to have all the Jews killed, the Bible tells us that he went and prepared the gallows for Mordecai, which was Esther's uncle, and we're going to kill Mordecai. Tomorrow morning, he's going to die. God raised up a godly woman named Esther that would tell the king what was about to happen, to which the king would go back and say, Are you the one, Haman? Have you really said you're going to do this? The gallows that Haman prepared for Mordecai are the same gallows that he was hung on. You need to understand. Don't be afraid of the gallows that the devil set up for you. He's the one that's going to hang in the end. Don't worry about the defeat that he set up for you and you think you're going to fall into that trap. No, sir. You keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep exalting the name of God. Keep lifting up the name of the Lord. And guess what? The enemy's the one that's going to fall in the end. Not you. Not you. My God Almighty. Now, now let's go. Let's go. Now, I want to show you. So he jumps back and forth here. From fear to faith. Fear to faith. And see, I understand this. There's a fierce argument going on in his heart. He's trying to figure this out. Have you ever been there? I know that I have today. Have you ever been to the place that you wanted to trust God? But fear gripped your heart. You wanted to believe that God could be your healer. But fear gripped your heart. You wanted to believe that God would comfort you. But fear gripped your heart. This is where David is. Fear and faith. Fear and faith. And I find that oftentimes in my spiritual life, that's the way I am. There's times that I wake up and I'm high in faith and I'm on top of the mountain. And then the next day something happens and I feel fear grip my soul and I feel like I'm back down in the valley. This is the struggle that the man of God is having. He is standing at the crossroad. He has a decision to make. David says, do I go back now? Or have I reached the point of no return that I cannot go back? As Listen to me. As long as you keep a door open behind you, you will never be committed to keep moving forward. If you know, listen to me. There's somebody, if you make an exit plan for yourself, you have basically set yourself up for failure. If you are walking in the will of God and God is leading your steps and the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, He delights in His way. Though I fall, I'm not utterly cast down. The Lord just reaches down, picks me back up and says, keep on walking, boy. Brushes the dust off of me. If I truly believe that God is leading me, 
then I need to let go of the door of exit that I've made for myself and I need to walk in the favor of God. See, let me show you what he does. Now watch it. David could have said this. I'm not going to walk in the anointing anymore. He remembers whenever Samuel came. He took the ram horn of oil. He pours it on his head. It runs all the way down him. He's just the ruddy boy that was in the field tending to the sheep. Samuel didn't even think that he was the king. He said, oh, all the other brothers look better. But God chose a little ruddy boy in the back of the field. God will sometimes use people that we don't expect Him to use. But God has no respect for a person. He can use anybody greatly that will allow Him to in this building today. It doesn't matter what your history is. It doesn't matter what people think about you. Little David comes in. He pours a ram horn of oil over his head. David could have said, You know what? I am not going to walk in this anointing anymore. I'm quitting. I'm going back. I'm tired of this battle. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of running. What I'm going to do, forget about the throne. I'm going to go back to being a shepherd boy. I'm not a king. Does anybody see he has the opportunity to go back? Would we blame him? He's having to fight for his life. It looks like he's going to be killed. Saul is chasing him, hunting him like a wild animal. If he'll just give the throne to Saul, give up his rightful place as a king and go back and be a shepherd boy, everything will be alright. But can I tell somebody something? It is not God's will for David to be a shepherd boy or he'd have left him there. It is God's will for him to be a king. And can I tell somebody in this house today, it is not God's will for you to go back to what you used to be, it is time for you to go to the place of destiny that God is calling you. You are a prince with God. You're a son and daughter of God. You cannot go back. You have reached a point of no return. Alright, let's go to verse 7. I'm closing with this one. I'm going to let you go. David says, my heart is steadfast. Or another version says, my heart is fixed. In other words, I've made my mind up. I've made my heart up, oh God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. And I'm going to give praise. If I leave myself an exit door, I'll never make up my mind. It says, you know what? If I start a new business and it fails, I'll just go back to working. It is an exit door that says if I fail, then I can quit. But if God opens the door for you, You've got to get rid of the exit door. You've got to trust that you cannot quit. That God is going to take you. Listen, God is capable of doing anything in your life, ladies and gentlemen. God is capable to do things that you never even dreamed possible. God is able to take you to the heights of the mountain that you've never been to before. You may think my life's good. God can make it better. You may feel like your marriage is on the rocks. Let me tell you something. God can give you your first love back again. Boy, there ain't nobody helping me today. Uh-uh, y'all ain't getting this. What I'm telling you today is God can make it better. David has to be encouraged. There comes a time when you have to just shut that exit door. You have to make up your mind. You lock the door and you throw away the key and it gives you no option of turning back. In Ephesians 4.27, this is what it says. Do not give place to the devil or do not give a foothold to the devil. That means don't give him an upper hand. Don't give him the advantage. My God, help us to throw away the key and to understand that if God is for us, who in the world can be against us? 
And then we have the lesson of the diatribe of David. And I'll close with this point. The diatribe simply means it's an angry or bitter and unusually long speech or piece of writing that strongly criticizes someone or something. Uh, I'm going to give you an example of a diatribe. You ever done that driving down the road with a slow lady in front of you? I've had a diatribe. Does everybody know what a diatribe is now? Everybody with me, all right? It's that moment you go out on this spot. I'm here right now. They, they can't drive no faster than that. They need to take their license from them, bless God. That's a diatribe. You having a meltdown. Now, you get behind Miss Ada, buddy, she's going to be speeding, all right? I'm going to go ahead and tell you. She's going to be going. You ain't got to worry about her. You won't have a diatribe with her. I was riding behind somebody the other day, and I did have a little diatribe. I was just a fussing, and I had to remember the sermon I was preaching today. There's times that we have it. David is in the middle of a diatribe. He is just pouring it out. He wants to have faith, but he's allowing fear to overtake him. But I want to show you in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, what God said. He said, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God and pulling down strongholds. Can I show something to you? really quick. The weapons. Now I want to tell you, God never promised us that the enemy would not be able to develop a weapon against us. The weapon will be formed. Is everybody with me? It is going to come. There is no way that the, the God never promised me that Satan would not form a weapon that he would try to throw at me. A spear, a sword that he would come against me with. God never promised the weapon would not be formed. But what he did promise me is it doesn't matter what weapon the enemy forges. He says no weapon formed against me will prosper. That means that there's no weapon that the devil can forge or develop or come up with that is going to tear me down. That's going to take away my victory. That's going to make me have to turn around and go back. It may be formed, but it will not prosper against me. I'm a child of God. Victory is mine. Now, now, we could go to verse 5. I'll just quote it to you. The Bible says they're made mighty through God for pulling down. Now, when you think about pulling down strongholds, the first thing is it means it's above us. Alright? It's above us. you got to pull it down. It's above you. It is things that the enemy has brought against you that have risen up over your life. For some people, it's an addiction. It, it's an addiction. Every time you try to get away from it, it rises up in your life. Some of it, it's conflict in your marriage. For some of you, it's conflict on your job. But every time you try to have faith, the old devil rises up with this thing above your head. Anybody know what I'm talking about? This is what David, what Paul says we need to learn and that David needs to learn is that you have the power to pull down those strongholds. You don't give a foothold to the devil. Do not give him an inch or he'll take a mile. You reach up there with the authority of a child of God. The blood of Jesus is over your life and you say, Satan, this addiction, it is no longer going to hold me bound. I am pulling down that strong imagination you've called up against me the plans that you've made for me I'm going to reach up and I'm going to pull that down for God knows I have plans for you there are plans for good and not evil plans to give you a hope and a future there is somebody in this house today that needs to reach up and grab the stronghold of the enemy and say you will not pull me down any longer I'm pulling you down 
hard, hard hat. Now, and he goes on and he says this. He says, the pulling down of strongholds and the casting down of arguments or evil imaginations. Now, I want you to grab this second point. I'm not going to argue with the devil anymore. I am not going to argue with the devil anymore. Does anybody have a devil that talks on your shoulder sometime? I do. I thump him off. Because let me tell you something. The devil is always arguing, all right? He's always contrary to what God said. That is why when Adam and Eve were in the garden and Eve's about to sin, trying to eat, the, we'll call it an apple. We don't know if it was or not. But she's got this shiny apple, man. It's so pretty. And the snake saying, has God really said this? What he is doing, he is arguing about what God's Word has already declared. God has already declared me blessed. I'm not going to argue with the devil about that. I'm blessed. God has already said, I'm victorious. I'm not going to argue with the devil about being defeated. I'm not defeated. I am, a victory is mine. Do you understand? So, so here we are, my God Almighty devil. I'm not going to argue with you anymore. I'm not going to talk about it. We're not going to fuss about it. My God, I just rebuke him in the name of Jesus. Come on to the pen. I, I'm closing now. So here we are, the point, the crossroad. What are you going to do? Are we, are we going to move forward? Or are we going back? Are we going to become a king and priest with God like we've been called to be, David? Or are we going back to tend to some sheep? Are we going to a place that we've never been before with God? Are we going to get that promotion? Or are we just going to settle for where we are because we're just not good enough to do that job? What I'm telling somebody today is it is time for you to make a decision. It is the point of no return. It is for that person that is struggling with addiction. You have reached a crossroads, sir. You have reached a point that you've got to say, you know what? Are we quitting this? Or are we going back to it? If alcohol's a problem, then guess what? I've got to ask myself a question. Am I going to go back to it? Or am I moving forward? If I've got problems with popping pills and, and I've become addicted, then it's time for me to come to the crossroad and say there's a point of no return. Today is it, devil. I'm moving forward. I'm throwing the key away, locking the door. I refuse to go back where I used to be. For some of you in here, you've come to a crossroad that you can choose to walk away from God and live in defeat just like you've always done. Or you can say, today, I'm moving to a place with Jesus I've never been before. I've come to a crossroad. I'm not going to straddle this fence anymore. I'm not going to be half committed to Christ anymore. I'm going to lock that door. There's no exit plan. The only thing for me is loving Jesus with all my heart, mind, soul, and body, and strength. Everything within me. Bless the name of the Lord. There's no other option for me. It's not an option whether or not I come to church or not. It's not an option. I've reached a point of no return. I was glad. Man, I feel like preaching today. Jesus, help me. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. See, there's something that has to change in my life to make me understand I have no reason to go back. There's nothing back there for me. I don't want to be who I used to be. I don't want to go back to the failures of Jimmy Purdue. I want to move forward. I want God to use me and put me in my rightful place like David. A place of elevation, a place of blessing, a place of favor. So, we join with the fellowship of the unashamed. We make up our mind to go to this point of no return. I'm not ashamed to be called a Christian. I'm not ashamed I'm a preacher. 
I'm not ashamed if people call me crazy. I'm not ashamed if people call me a Pentecostal. I'm not ashamed if people call me a lunatic. I'm not ashamed if people call me a Jesus freak. A matter of fact, at this point with this wicked world, I welcome it. Because it will let me know that I've stood out in the middle of a dark, sin-filled world that Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost is living inside of me. So go ahead and call me a name. I've made a fellowship with the unashamed. Secondly, secondly, let me close with this. I can't argue with this devil anymore. I can't. I can't. It's over. I've pulled that stronghold down. So now I need the devil to shut up. I need need the devil just to hush his mouth get behind me Satan because I have been given power through God to pull down the strongholds the addictions, the footholds, whatever they are I can close this conversation down I remember with my mother and father my mother was the one that always spanked me boy, she's a holiness woman, they believe in spanking you hear me folks they believe in saying some of you kids in here, you spoiled rotten alright, let me tell you Mama would have caught me chewing gum in church. She'd have picked me up, walked me out the front door, spanked me. I'd have done an Indian dance, cried. She'd have told me to dry my tears. We're going back to worship Jesus. It all happened in about two minutes. It's amazing. You're talking about changing. When I got in there, I was a changed kid. One night I was sitting at the table. My father told me we had, my father was a good cook, but I remember he had cooked that night, I believe some fried, maybe pork chops, I believe, pan seared. And I, and, uh, there were some beans. I, I like green beans, you know. That's fine. Lima beans, too. I, I like that kind of stuff. It's all good. But then he came out with that old bitter mustard greens. Now, if you bring them to me with some hot vinegar, let's have a celebration. Back then, I ain't eating them nasty things. I remember my father looked at me that night and he said, Jimmy, it's not up for discussion. Do you know what that means? We ain't talking about it no more. You're going to do it. And I remember I sat, my daddy, boy, he was as stubborn as I was. I sat at that table until finally I ate those greens. He was, he was bound to determine, you're going to eat that food. And he went into this spill about kids starving and you know all that stuff. You parents have used it too. But he let me know, this isn't open for a conversation. I need somebody today to tell the devil it's not open for conversation anymore buddy I'm selling out 100% to Jesus Christ you may have used to own me you used to may have held me captive you used to have me in chains I used to be in bondage I used to be in slavery you may have came in this church today in slavery I've come to tell you it's time to let the devil know this thing ain't open for discussion oh boy it stops right here Right now, in the name of Jesus, I will leave this place a changed man. I've reached the point of no return. Let's stand. i got to close today. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. There's somebody in this building today. The Holy Spirit, my God Almighty, has spoken to you. You know He has. You heard Him. Right now, your heart's pounding. You know that God gave you a message today. You know, you know. If that's you today, if that's you today, would you lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. i got to reach this point of no return. Thank you. I have to reach a point that I do not turn back. There's no options. It's all of Jesus or nothing 
in my life, my God Almighty. Ladies and gentlemen, today in this building, if that's you and you want to pray today, I always want to give you the opportunity. If you say, Pastor, I need to give it all to Jesus today. If you want to step out, now's your moment. Now's your moment. There is victory. There is victory in doing this. There is victory in coming forward, being prayed for. We have some coming. Come on. God bless you. If there's others, somebody said, well, i got to eat. Well, if you got to eat, then it was good seeing you today. You can go eat. But first off, I want to pray for those that want prayer. Just stay right here, brother. I want to pray with you. Is there anybody else? Pastor, that's me. That's me. That's me. There's some strongholds. I know that the Holy Spirit's spoken to me today about this. There's strongholds that are over my head. Satan is putting them over me. I need those things to be pulled down today. I need them to be pulled down today. If you're not praying, then why don't you come and lay hands on someone behind you and lift them up in prayer today. Lift them up in prayer today. You can come and you can help pray for them. There's people that need God to pull down strongholds in their life. You can be a part of that process. Just pray for them and say, Jesus, pull down their stronghold. Whatever Satan has got over their head, let it stop today. Give them victory in Jesus one more time. Give them victory in Jesus. Sing it, Brian. Oh, by the arrow by day. Oh, for you are my shield. Aren't you glad? I'm free from disaster or fear. Defense. You are my shield. Hallelujah. Disaster or threat, you are my defense, you are my shield. You cover me, you cover me. I'm resting in your shadow, you're my strength and bravery. You cover me, you cover me. And I'm safe inside your presence. You hold back the enemy. You cover me. Oh, you cover me. I'm free from the terror by night or the arrows by day. And you are my strength, I'm free, come disaster or threat, you are my defense, and you are my shield, yes I'm free from the terror by night, or the arrows by day, you are my strength, Come disaster or threat, you are my defense, you are my shield. You cover me, oh, you cover me, and 
resting in your shadow. You're my strength and bravery. You cover me. Oh, you cover me. And I'm safe inside your presence. You hold back the enemy. You cover me. You cover me. And I'm resting in your shadow. You're my strength and bravery. You cover me. Oh, you cover me. And I'm safe inside your presence. You hold back the enemy. You cover me. I'm free from the terror by night or the arrows by day. You are my strength. I'm free come disaster or threat. You are my defense. You are my shield. And I'm free from the terror by night or the arrows by day. You are my strength. I'm free come disaster or threat. You are my defense. You are my shield. Cover me. Oh, you cover me, Lord. I'm resting in your shadow. You're my strength and bravery. You cover me. Oh, you cover me. And I'm safe inside your presence. You hold back the enemy. You cover me. Oh, you cover me, Lord. And I'm resting in your shadow. You're my strength and bravery. You cover Sing it with him. Let's sing this together before we leave. I'm free from this night by day. Thank you. You are my strength. And I'm free come disaster or threat. You are my defense. Again, you are my sh Sing it like you mean it. Hallelujah. Because I'm free from the terror by night or the arrows by day. Lord, you are my strength. And I'm free come disaster or threat. Because, Lord, you're my defense. Hallelujah. You are my shield. One more time. My God. Lord, I'm free from the terror by night or the arrow by day. Lord, You are my strength. I'm free from disaster or threat. You are my defense. You are my shield. 
God, Jesus. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Tonight in the gym at 5.30, shake hands and be friends. God bless you, bless you, bless you. Whenever you come in, we're going to be handing out little tickets if you want to play on the show. God bless you.